Welcome to Tea Time with Chris, a podcast that celebrates faith, humor, and the power of storytelling. I'm Chris Tomlinson, your host, and I'm thrilled to invite you to join me for engaging conversations with people from all walks of life. Together, we'll sip some tea or whatever you prefer and explore life's joys and challenges with a focus on hope, inspiration, and positivity. I'll also share some of my personal stories and some poetry to add a touch of intimacy and creativity to our chats. So join me as we spread love, joy, and laughter with each episode. Welcome to Tea Time with Chris. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Tea Time with Chris podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Chris Tomlinson. In this episode, continuing with this whole theme I'm having with my listeners of uh, getting to know me better, I figured I'd share some more childhood and teen memories that I'm still able to think of today that, uh, that have taught me valuable lessons. I know I said I don't want to make this podcast just about me, and I still don't. However, I do want my listeners to know and understand who they are spending their time on listening to. Most of you all know my medical side of my life. You know my burns and how I spend a lot of time in the hospital. But there are very few, though, that know Chris outside of all that. Today, let's go on an adventure, shall we? Let's take a trip to the past for a moment and explore. I mentioned before in previous episodes uh, where I grew up and next to the woods and the flowing creeks through the bloody fields and the opening within the woods where we built our forts. And there was another spot I didn't mention before. It just wasn't really important. didn't really connect with the whole story I was talking about, but I just figured I'd share a little bit about it anyways. Um, I'm not sure the name of it, but it's basically like a big hole. It looks like a meteor or something just hit the ground, at least... That's how mine saw, my mind saw it. It was deep and swampy inside. All around the inside of the walls, there were tubes that would lead further underground, but emptied water here in this hole. We were always told not to go in there because you could get hurt or stuck down there. Some days we'd explore around this massive hole and we'd spot huge bullfrogs or whatever. These things were huge. They freaked me out because I was so used to seeing little toads here and there. And then suddenly a frog bigger than a cat, it seemed with a deep rivet that would just bellow out of nowhere and just echo in this hole. And you wouldn't see them because they would blend in with the swampy surroundings and then suddenly they're just there. So many other kids would bring nets and we'd catch lizards and worms, some frogs and such, but we never caught any of those big ones. Maybe I wasn't the only kid scared of them. Sometimes I'd like to sit on the edge of the hole or the crater and just watch the surface of the mucky swamp. I'd spot little eyes popping up now and then from frogs and catch a plop in the corner of my eye just as the shell of a turtle vanishes. I'd imagine I was out on a bayou or something, or I'd imagine I was on another planet and this was a hole from a meteor, just as I thought it was anyways. My house was on a busy street, but behind it was another road that was a dead end, or a cul-de-sac rather. So it wasn't very busy. All the neighborhood kids would hang out on that street and called the sack end was near the woods that would lead into that opening where the fort was. 
we'd all come out and ride bikes, skateboards, or whatever. Sometimes we'd play basketball or something. I remember one kid who lived on that street. He had a basketball hoop, a trampoline, a pole. And he went to school with me, and I'd hang out with him almost every day. I'd come over to his house, and we'd shoot hoops, or jump on the trampoline, go on the pole, or we'd just, whatever, just hung out and just chilled, you know, for high school friends or middle school friends, whatever. Till one day, it just, it just stopped. For some reason, he no longer wanted anything to do with me. He'd either make fun of me at times, but I just shrugged it off. I had a lot of other friends on that street. I couldn't ride a bicycle because of my knees, but one kid on the street had a smaller bike that I could sit on. And because it was so small, you know, my feet would touch the ground and I'd be able to move myself around with pushing off my feet on the ground. And I thought I was so cool. All the other kids would hop on their bikes and just pedal away. And here I would come, hop on this little bike and just push myself as hard as I could just so I could feel like I was biking with the other kids. And I never could keep keep up with them but I didn't care I was having a blast anyways eventually I got too big for that bike and I really wanted to ride a bike though all the kids including my little brother rode a bike one day I decided to try riding a, reg a regular bike I wasn't doing too bad at first I kept my balance and figured out a way to move my left foot out of the way of the pedal and just use my right foot to push and then once it turned enough I'd put my leg back on and use both my legs for more power and then once it got up to enough to where my left leg couldn't bend and moved out of the way and just my right leg. It'd be very tiresome, but I didn't care. I wanted to ride a bike. Eventually, I started feeling brave. Like I had ridden a bike my whole life and it had only been maybe a, barely a week. So there's this part in the woods that goes up a hill slightly. And the hill wasn't that big, but it was, you know, tall enough to you can pick up speed if you went on it with a bike or whatever. And I wanted to ride that hill. So one day, I bring the bike to the top of the hill and I climb on. And I look out over this little hill, but in my mind, I saw a valley with clouds and the peaks of other mountains just barely coming out through the clouds. And the wind blew through my hair and I closed my eyes and smiled, thinking this hill was just this massive thing that was about to go down. So I pushed the bike forward and I start to pedal the way I do. My body goes stiff as I try to hold the handlebars with the one hand that I have and try to keep up pedaling with the way that I pedal and going faster than I usually do. I get down the hill and I think to myself, I did it. I go to turn and I don't know what happened, but I think my leg didn't bend fully and I just got caught in the wheel. I go flying and the bike went with me. I lay there on the asphalt of the street in incredible pain and just let out a yell. I don't remember who all was there, but I remember someone's dad came over and picked me up and carried me home. I had broken my leg and never again used a bicycle to this day. <laughs> However, that didn't stop me from trying other things because I then moved on to a scooter and I loved that thing. And I could actually ride it with no problem, which then further ahead in my life led to riding a skateboard. I never did tricks, but I just loved to ride them. I remember one thing all of us kids loved to do on that back street. We'd go to the very beginning of it. And the road was basically like a big hill. The beginning of the street was higher than the end of the street. So we'd all go to the very top of the beginning of the road, put our skateboards down, or some people, some kids brought their uh, their bikes, some had scooters, and I think maybe one kid had roller skates or something like that. But we all had something with, you know, with, with wheels you could ride on. And so we'd get up there, 
the top and we'd put our skateboard down and we'd either sit on them or we would lay on them. Some of us would lay on our, our stomachs so you're going down the road head first. Some of us would go down on our backs so and you're going down leg first. And then some of us would sit down and then someone else would sit on their skateboard in front of us and we would wrap our legs around them and go down the street, you know, together. So you'd we'd ride all the way down, all the way down the street. We'd just almost reached the end of the road. And it was so much fun. I didn't get to do it too much though because my parents didn't like me being that far away from the house because where the beginning of the street was, it was way out of view of, you know, eyesight. You couldn't, couldn't see us. And, you know, obviously my parents wanted to keep an eye on me and my brother while we were playing to make sure we were safe. Um, but when we did do it, it was so much fun. I loved going fast. It was the only time I felt like I was running so fast. And I loved the feeling of the wind on my face. I never liked, and I still don't like roller coasters, though. And you'd think I would if I liked, you know, that type of thrill, but... Anything I can't control and it goes fast freaks me out. I don't have much to hold on with. So in my mind, if I'm not in control of it and something happens, I may not know how to adapt with what I have to work with and survive in that current moment. So like if a roller coaster, you know, started going up the track, but you know, if you help, if you hold on, you'll be okay. Well, I only have one hand to hold on. And if it's fast enough, I mean, I have enough strength to hold on with one hand and I would go flying off. You might think, well, Chris, even if you were in control of it and it went off, you would still have to hold on. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> I get that. But the thing is, is that for me, for some reason, my mind think, oh, well, I would know firsthand what's about to happen. So I would have enough time in my mind to react and figure out how I'm going to hold on, whether that means to wrap my arm around the bar in front of me and my right nub wrap it around or whatever. Put my legs out to the side and push against the sides of the cart we're in. So that way there I have, you know, force. I won't move as much or whatever. And I don't know. That's just, that's just, that's just stuff that goes through my head when I go on. Well, if I was to go on a roller coaster, um, I have been on maybe one or two in my life. But these are also thoughts that goes through my head when I go on airplanes and stuff like that. It's just like, Chris, chill, chill. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so I remember we'd stay out like really late. Even sometimes we'd stay past like when the street lights came out, we'd still be outside and we'd have huge kickball games in our yard with all the kids. And I remember my dad, he couldn't do much though. He was a big guy and he struggled with his weight. But he never gave up though. That man worked so hard. His children and wife had a home, safe place, and food, and we even had some things we didn't really need, but we we wanted. I remember he'd come out and sometimes he'd watch us play and he'd cheer us on and be like an umpire and all while sitting on the porch watching. I remember sometimes he'd come out and he'd sit on a chair and I'd be out in the yard and we'd just toss a ball back and forth. He'd create games for me and my brother to play out in the yard or I remember we'd have to go to work with him sometimes during the summer, or school vacations, and I remember I used to hate going. I hated it because it was boring to me because it was in a laundromat, and we'd be so bored. We, yeah, it'd be bored. And I remember my dad would try to think of all kinds of things to keep us little kids entertained and have fun and pass the time. And obviously he'd have to work, so he wouldn't be doing it the whole time. We would come with games, like in a cart, and he'd put tape in the middle of it and make it a goal thing. And 
just throw the ball into it and try to get in the goal and keep score. Or just create all different things. And he'd tell us stories. I used to love listening to his stories. He had this little game he would play with us where he would act like he was like a robot. And in the middle of his chest was like a cassette player. And we would pretend like we were putting in a cassette tape. And we'd put it in and act like we're closing it and push play. And as we push play, we would say the name of some character like King Kong or Godzilla or Spider-Man or Superman or something like that. And my dad, we'd push play and he would come to life and grab us, start tickling us. Like if he was Godzilla, he'd be like, rawr, grab us, start tickling our sides. And we'd have to try to push the pretend stop button on his chest to turn it off. So he would, we'd get free and it'd be... It'd be fun. It'd be hilarious because we'd be struggling because he'd be tickling us and holding us and we'd be trying to push the stop button. And, and uh, sometimes he'd just, you know, just tell stories, like I said, and sing songs. He was such a good singer and he played the guitar like, dude, he was, he could play any song. Like any song he played, it just sounded exactly like the original artist. And he, I remember he sang a lot of John Denver. Um, a lot of uh, the Beatles and uh, Journey and Boston, just a bunch of old other classic rock music. And I grew up with all that. I still love that type of music today because of him. And, and he would always just like, you know, like do things that just seem so effortless, just so easy for him. And, but the one thing he struggled with was he couldn't, he wasn't very active. He couldn't move a lot or he couldn't run or really much of any activities because of his weight and I was so bad for him about that and there was a time in my life where I blamed myself for it because he really didn't struggle with it that much until after my accident he went into depression you know and his son his son's life was different their whole life was different now but he was always there for like support for like I don't know how to explain it it's hard to explain like you know, being dad, you know, being like funny and, but knowing when to be serious and when to be like, Hey, don't do that in life. Don't be doing that. That's wrong. And explain why it's wrong. And there's all kinds of things he would do. And he would just, he would call me his buddy. I was his buddy with everything. I remember getting into the van we had growing up and I always thought we had the coolest vans cause they were just big and. They had those TVs in the middle that never worked, but it was just cool to have. My dad had a CB radio and we met around with that sometimes. We would just jam in his car to classic rock and he just called me a little buddy. and We just do that stuff, you know. Um, I remember one time he surprised me after school one day. And like I said, he couldn't do a lot and he was working a lot too, like a lot. And one day he surprised me after school. It was totally random, totally random. <clears throat> told me to get in the car or the van and we were going to go on a ride. I had no idea where, but I was like hoping we'd go to like, <clears throat> I was hoping we'd go to like an arcade or something like that because I was so into video games and everything. So we started driving and driving and driving and we're listening to music. We're singing together and he's being funny and doing different things that he used to do to be funny where he would sing songs with different lyrics that we both knew were wrong. And they'd be like, Dad, no, that's not how it goes. This is how it goes. And they'd tell him how it goes. And he'd be like, oh, oh, okay. And then he'd start singing it right. And then he'll throw in some random weird lyrics again. And be like, no, that's not how it goes. And 
Yeah, he'd be like, oh, okay. And then he'd have little dances that we do and just all kinds of stuff. And what we, what we wound up doing on that trip was he took me out. We lived in Massachusetts at the time. He took me out to the Cape. We went over this huge bridge. And the bridge, bridges used to scare me. Because I always used to think they were just going to collapse. Just every bridge was going to collapse. Because, you know, that's, that's what happens every day. I know it's possible and I know it has happened, but obviously it's not an everyday thing. But anyways, in my mind, it, it was. <laughs> I remember we talking about this bridge and I was like, Dad, no. And I started getting scared and he was like, you're like, why? Don't be like that, Christopher. Just look, look at this. And I remember opening my eyes and looking out over the bridge on the side, like out the window, past your window, seeing this huge, vast ocean and the sky just going from mine. And in the distance, I could see like, just a haze of the cities and the tall skyscrapers in the city. You see all the beaches just stretching out far. There's boats and just it was just really beautiful looking. And I remember him saying, See what you were you were gonna miss if you had kept your eyes closed. And he's like, You're gonna be fine. We're okay. We're okay, bud. I was just so amazed at that view. I just sat there with my eyes just Face pretty much glued against the window, just looking at it. And I remember in the background just hearing music, just playing along. Suddenly later on, eventually we got to this restaurant. We had hungry. We got to this restaurant, and we had never been to this place before. Like never, just a random thing again. I only thing I remember about it is there was this like a chicken on the logo, and it was like a a golden logo, and it wasn't like a cartoony chicken. It was like a regular chicken. I remember inside it looked not really fancy, but it wasn't like, not really fancy, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like a normal restaurant. Like it had a theme to it and it wasn't really bright inside. It was a little bit dim. People were kind of dressed up, but not really, but it looked, it was really nice. It looked really nice. And it had, I remember it had a little bit of a country theme, but not like, not like a Cracker Barrel theme or something like that, but. Had a little bit of a theme of, of country stuff. I remember seeing old pictures of different celebrities and people and old black and white photos on the walls and different um, farming tools and just stuff like that. And I remember the food was so good. I just can't remember what I had, but I just remember being really good. And I just remember the entire time laughing, just laughing and having so much fun with my dad. And then after that, we went back on the long trip back home and that was the entire day and it was so much fun and that was that's a memory I'll never ever forget with my dad and something I would cherish forever and I know my dad couldn't do a lot because of his limitations and I'm not saying he was a bad dad and I know that there's no dad out there that's perfect but seeing how my dad struggled and seeing how he wanted to do things but he couldn't and I don't want to say this is going to sound mean or almost bad with the way they sound this, well, with the way I say this, but I don't mean this bad or mean. It's a good thing. But it made me realize that I want to and I need to do stuff with my kids, you know? Like, I wanted to be like my dad, but I didn't want to be that part. I didn't want to, to miss out on doing things with my kids because of my limitations. And I know I'm not blaming anything on him. I know. He did the best he could. I know he did. I know he did. But in seeing the struggles he went through made me push more than my struggles. So I remember one day we got um we got a basketball hoop 
and I would play every day after school, every day. And it wasn't really easy to play because we didn't have cement down, so it was just grass and dirt. So you'd bounce the ball, and every now and then you'd hit like a lump of grass or a lump of dirt, and the ball would bounce off and go in a totally different direction than you were bouncing it. Or after you'd shoot the ball into the hoop, and when it hit the ground, it would hit something, and it'd just go boom, and just go flying off to another direction. But I didn't care. I loved I loved basketball and I wanted to play basketball. And I thought if I did play it every day, I would be like Michael Jordan because I had read his biography of a school. And one of the things that he did when he was growing up was he would play every single day. So I figured if I did this, I'd be amazing at basketball. So one day it's in high school, they announced basketball tryouts. And I wanted to play bad, like really bad, so bad. And I got excited about it. And I was friends with a lot of the jocks and athletes at my school. And uh, I was friends with pretty much everybody. I didn't care who you were, who you hung out with, or how you acted. Like, I didn't care. Like, I just was friends with everybody. Like, I brought one group of kids into another group of kids that never got along because I was friends with them. And next thing I know, these groups are merging together and they're making friends with other kids that they never would talk to, but they met them through me or whatever. Anyways, so anyways, I was friends with all the, you know, like some of the jocks and athletes and they were cool about it. They, they thought I was like funny for some reason. They thought I was funny and cool and whatever. And so I'd hang out with them in like the locker room after like gym or even during like breaks or after school or before school, whenever I hung out, I hung out with them. Um, so they even would tell me, you know, you know, do the basketball, like try out for basketball. We know you like basketball. So I couldn't wait to do it. Like I was really excited, you know, I would often imagine myself being an athlete and going out in the court and hearing people cheer and just feeling that excitement of playing basketball. And I just, I couldn't wait to try out. So I remember I eagerly, I eagerly was sitting there waiting for the meeting and they talked about it and they handed out forms and I couldn't remember anything they were talking about because all I kept playing in my head was me playing basketball and having a blast and winning games. That's all I remember. That's all I remember. But uh, I remember getting the form and I filled it out and we had a certain amount of time that we had to get it to the coach. And it was, you know, on his desk or in his hands or whatever. I remember holding onto the paper very tightly and I was very hesitant. I was really scared to do this. But why? I loved basketball. I remember I would go by the coach's door so many times. Just, I'd feel like, okay, this is it. I'm going to go in and give him the form and go and then, nope, go right past the door. So many times. Finally, by the end of the day, I was too nervous to go in there. So I wound up sliding my form under the coach's door and then ran off. I remember laying in my bed and thinking about the tryouts and thinking about why was I so scared? I knew how different I was and I knew what I struggled with physically. I also mentally struggled though. I hated who I was. I hated the way I looked. I figured if I would show up for tryouts, I'd be a joke and just laughed at. No one would take me seriously. I know a few times during gym class, we'd play basketball like, they had little shootouts and stuff, and I wasn't the best, but I made some in. 
but I knew I wasn't as good as the other kids. So next day at school, I'm walking in the hallway, and the coach stopped me, told me, hey, I need a medical form from your doctor for me to play basketball. Like, all the kids have to do this for the play. I wound up just telling them to, to you know, just, just forget it, but anyways, I'm not, I, I'm, I changed my mind. I'm not going to try out anyways. I never did try out. I was sad, and I was so angry about it, but it was no one's fault but my own. You might ask yourself, why, Chris, did you see yourself that way? Well, it's then from the many times I was laughed at and told I was dumb or no way I could do something that they were doing. I remember one of the big fears was wearing gym shorts while playing. In middle school, I was so scared of when we had to change in gym class, I hid in my locker. None of the kids really said anything. I just squeaked in there and just somehow some way changed my clothes while I was in there. I remember my middle school teacher letting me out and asked me if I was okay and asked why I was in there. And I told him, you know, like, too scared or too shy to change in front of everybody. And they had a separate bathroom that was, it was in their office, but you know, it was like, you know, it's like their own office, like a staff office or staff bathroom or whatever. And they said, you know, if you're not comfortable changing out here, if you want to go and use the my the staff bathroom, you're more than welcome to. He's like, they're like, you can go in there and lock the door and no one will bother you and you change and just be you. You don't have to worry about nothing. And I did. I felt I felt much better about that. I didn't want to like change in front of the other kids. I was too scared. One time I wore, or one time before that, I know after, it was after, I'm sorry. One time after that, I think it was about, I think about maybe two to three years later, um, I had worn shorts to school and I remember walking in line. I didn't really notice how it looked, but online at school, I heard from next to me a group of kids laughing. And I remember one kid yelling out, clear as day, nice shorts. And a bunch of kids just started bursting out laughing. I hid myself and fought tears. The whole time I'm in line with my head down, trying to hide my face. And I just kept hearing kids laughing. And other kids saying my, my legs were so skinny. And another kid saying they'd never go anywhere with legs like that. And just so many other things just being said about me. And I had nowhere to go. I was just stuck in line. Just had to stand there and just listen to it and just fought, trying not to freak out and cry too much. So even to this day, I won't wear shorts. It's very rare to see me in shorts. Very, very rare. I remember one time in school, a kid had um, a birthday party and they had a swimming pool and I was the only person there and I'm wearing, well, I'm not the only person there, but I was the only person there wearing a shirt, like pants, and I was even wearing socks in the pool. And I remember some of the kids would ask me, you know, why are you wearing your clothes in the pool? And I just kind of try to ignore them or change the subject or, or whatever, you know, I just, I didn't want to admit, you know, that I was different and that's why I didn't want to do it because I felt, you know, what I did about myself, you know, um, but there's so many times I can remember Really cruel things said to me from all ages, from really early childhood kids crying when they see me to kids in middle school and high school laughing, pointing, or literally saying out loud, ugh, so gross. I hate hear that from adults and get stuff from adults too. I can't even tell you how many times through my life I've been told how ugly I am. I'm not saying any of this to make anyone feel bad for me or pity me. That's the last thing I want. 
I say all this to show you things. People wonder why I have such low self-esteem. This is why. I was convinced that I was a little till about my mid-teens that I'd never be loved. No one could love someone like me. I was convinced of it. Then I met the mother of my kids. I'm married and I had everything I thought I wanted and it was all gone in an instant. Thank God my girl stayed with me, but it wasn't easy. The pain of rejection, the trust and loyalty just totally destroyed it. I thought was impenetrable and it was just gone. To feel like your appearance was the reason why they left and I had obtained the unobtainable and I couldn't go through all that again. Depression took hold and life was flipped totally around. I had felt loved and accepted to now questioning everything. Now again, I tell you all this not for pity or anything, but for what I'm about to tell you. All the pain, rejection, and hateful things said to me throughout my life, all the way up till now, has made me who I am and molded how I act and react to the world. When someone mistreats me, and they don't give me a chance to explain who I am or what I'm going through. And they just assume. I remember that. When I meet someone, I think to myself, just listen. Don't act. Listen and understand. I have no idea what they're going through or what they've been through. And let them explain. When I see someone different out in public, I, I want to hear their story. I feel compassion and want to know what they need help with. When I see people, I look at them more intensely. I don't just see how they look, but I see every detail. And every single person, there's something beautiful about them. Whether that's the way their eyes curve, or the way their smile lights up their face, the way their hair flows, and the way their voice sounds, to the way their eyes just flicker in the light. The way their face is formed and molded. There's beauty in all of us. We all have something to add to this grand and wondrous canvas of God's creation. Yes, we all have something that we try to hide or cover or improve. We should think about that when we look at someone. Really look at the beauty God puts into his creation. Another thing that I've taken from my past hurts is that it's made me stronger. It takes a lot to get me mad and it also makes me not want to give up easily. I look, on, I look back on things I missed out on due to fear and I think back to things I was told about myself and how it changed the way I saw myself. Yet, I can look at others and see their beauty. I overanalyze everything I do, and yet, I can give praise to someone doing the tiniest thing. I think it all stems down to, I just want to prove people wrong and show that I can do things. Which in turn gives me a fighting spirit to keep going. One thing I like to say when I talk about going through hard times is to think about iron. 
The raw ore form of iron has to be chipped away at, heated up, smelted, then beat up, heated up again, beat up, heat up, and so on continuously. In the end, though, it can go from a dirty-looking rock to a shiny, powerful sword. Think of a diamond. They're beautiful, right? People cherish them and adorn themselves with them. But let's look at how they're formed. A diamond is a precious gemstone made of pure carbon that forms under intense heat and pressure deep within the Earth's mantle. They're exposed to extreme heats that are about 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,200 degrees Celsius and pressure up to 725,000 PSI. These intense conditions force carbon atoms to bond together in a unique crystalline structure, creating a diamond. Think about that for a minute. That heat is so intense and that pressure is so intense that it affected the very atoms of the carbon molecules. That's intense, man. Over many, many years, volcanic eruptions bring diamonds close to the Earth's surface. And diamonds are then mined, cut, and polished before being used as jewelry or for other, in a, in a, for other industrial things. Again, intense heat and torture to come out of something beautiful. That right there is what I'm trying to show you and tell you. Don't let your traumas keep you down. Use them to show the world how strong, powerful, and beautiful you are. God knew what he was doing when he created you. Through everything we go through, it sharpens us, refines us, purifies us, so that we can become our true, powerful, wonderful, and beautiful self that we are. In Psalms 8, 4-5, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You're a lot stronger than you know it. Look back through everything you've gone through and yet you're still here. For me, it took me to recognize these things in my own self. I'm still working on them, but I'm improving. But I know what it's like to be so low that it seems hopeless and like, why does it even matter? You never know how close you are to a breakthrough, to that light. There's an image online that I've seen where it has two guys in a mining underground and one guy had a lot more to go in the picture, but he kept going. And the other guy put his axe down and he just gave up. He had put, up, put in so much work, but he had enough, he just quit. And the image it showed that if he had just hit one or two more times, he would have found gems. I know there were many times in my life I wanted to give up. I even tried a few times, but thank God I didn't succeed. I wouldn't be where I'm at today in my life if I gave up. It took me a while, but I had to go through situations in my life to grow, mature, and strengthen. 
And I have the ability and tools to go further. Use your tools. Use your story to keep going and share with others to help them as well. For me, I also realized through it all how much God had and still has my back through everything. It's so hard to see during those dark and hard times, but he's right there with you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Tea Time with Chris. Again, I'm Chris Tomlinson. Stay awesome, and God bless. You've just listened to Tea Time with Chris, a podcast filled with hope, faith, joy, love, and occasional laughter. We hope you enjoyed it and continue to stay up to date with us at teatimewchris.com. God bless.